Today is a big deal. Liturgically, today is a big deal. Called the Epiphany. And in the East, those Greek churches, they call today Theophany. And for them, behind Easter, it's the biggest day of the year. It's even more important than Christmas. And it makes some sense that if God becomes man, but no one is responds to him or he's not manifested to anyone, how much does it really matter? Like St. Augustine says, God created us without our help, but can only redeem us with our help. And so we have in this gospel the way, I guess you call the format, by which man responds to God, to God revealing himself. So for this homily, I just want to go through four considerations, four reflections on this gospel of how we should respond to God more deeply considering the way that these three magi do. First, I want to look at their journey and the beginning of it. The fact that a star comes and directs them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. You know, there's what about a star tells you, oh yeah, if I look up in the sky, this star has written, this is the king of the Jews, come and follow me and you'll find it. Like the star is not a Goodyear blimp, you know? Like it doesn't have a message on it, right? So point is, is that they have, even though they have this star that they can follow, more deeply they have a desire to look for a sign to go and find the king of the Jews. And not only that, but when they set out, it's not like there's probably a lot of gift shops along the way, or like 7-Elevens, where they can go buy gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No, they probably bring that from Persia. So the fact that they don't just sit on their Persian rugs and wait for God to tell them where he's going to be and then go investigate and find out, "Eh, maybe we like this guy, you know, "Eh, maybe we don't. No, they go out in faith not knowing who exactly they will find, and they bring what is most precious to their hearts to go and find Jesus Christ. And they go out on a long and arduous two-year journey to get to that point. That's the first point I want to make. The second point is that they stop and ask for directions. I just got back from a conference Uh, the Focus C conference with some of the students this past week. In one of the men's sessions that was given, the speaker gave five rules that every man should break. One of them is to stop and ask for, don't, don't ask for directions. The Magi stopped and asked for directions. They broke the rule like they should have. But it's interesting who they stopped and asked directions from. They go to Jerusalem and they find King Herod who then assembles the chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes investigate the scriptures, and they find out, yeah, he's going, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod is very curious about this as well and says, yeah, I want to see him. 
why is it significant that they find out from the chief priests and the scribes and from Herod where they are, where Jesus is going to be? Is because they don't go. You know, like the Jews, the chief priests and the scribes should have been ashamed that they didn't go and find Jesus with his mother Mary. They should have been ashamed that they didn't do that. And then you have Herod. Herod wants to go. But Herod wants to go so that he can kill Jesus. You know, that's the reason why he wants to go. Basically, they take direction from people that know more than them, but are also more morally corrupt than them. And so we today are blessed to be part of the Roman Catholic Church that has the directions to Jesus. That we know by Jesus' promise is has, has teaching that is infallible. But Jesus never promised that her ministers or her members would be impeccable without sin. The Magi have the humility to say, we will take directions from men who will not even go see Jesus. Even though we've been traveling, we've been busting our butt for two years trying to get here, and he's in your backyard and you won't go. No, they still are humble enough to go to Jerusalem and find direction from the chief priests and the scribes who have the scriptures and who have the tradition. We are blessed to be part of the new Israel, the new church, so that we can rely upon her magisterial authority, her infallible teaching. The third point, and this is a point that Pope Benedict, who recently died earlier this week, made, is that whenever the Magi then worship Christ, they get up, and while they go home, they go back a different way. That Pope Benedict says, no one can worship Christ and return to his former way of life. The reason that they do this in the gospel is because Herod intends to kill Jesus. And they revealed this in a dream. But we also, after worshiping Christ in the Eucharist, sure, we go back home. We go back to our marriages. We go back to our families. We go back to our roommates. We go back to our regular states of life, our jobs. But we go back in a different way. We go back less attached to sin. We go back more loving towards our neighbor. We go back more in tune with the Lord. That whenever we encounter Christ, it is imperative that we go back a different way. Otherwise, we have to question if our worship of him was truly legitimate. And then the fourth point, and this is kind of related to the second But once the Magi get back home, what does life look like for them? It's interesting. The scriptures don't really tell us anything about it. But St. John Chrysostom has some very interesting thoughts on this. After Jesus resurrects from the dead and appears to his disciples, there's someone that's not there. Thomas. And Thomas, we know, doubts. To the point where Jesus appears to him and the other disciples and says, Put your hands in my side and your hands in my hands. Be not believing, be not unbelieving, but believe. And blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Well, who are those who have not seen and have believed? It's the Magi. And who becomes 
the, ma- the bishop for the Magi. St. John Chrysostom says, and Christian tra- tradition would affirm, Thomas does. In an irony of ironies, Pope Peter decides that he is going to send St. Thomas, doubting Thomas, out to be the bishop of this eastern community that kind of has to, you know, hasn't seen Jesus at all, that has to believe by not seeing and only by Thomas's word. That's pretty crazy. You can imagine being in the Magi's shoes, maybe sitting in a, you know, a small building, you know, imagine like a small church, you know, listening to Thomas preach and just thinking the whole time, we traveled for two years not knowing exactly who we were going to see. And you lived with this man for three and didn't trust your brother apostles whenever they said he was risen from the dead. How am I going to respect you? Pretty hard. But St. John Chrysostom says that these men were fed through the word and the sacrament of uh, St. Thomas. And so it's interesting, right? Because that's certainly point is the voice of Satan to say, like, if my experience doesn't match up with yours, if you don't share my sufferings at all, then I'm not going to listen to you. Every, every person's sufferings in the body of Christ are unique. I mean, the Magi are probably right in saying, yeah, you know, Thomas, you don't share a lot in common with us. But the Magi would be blind if they didn't recognize, well, Thomas had his own sufferings. Thomas is the one that had to follow Jesus for three years where the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head and while foxes had dens and birds had nests. Thomas is the one that you know, had to see Jesus get crucified, right? Or, I mean, even though he was cowardly, was there at his betrayal, that he had to make that decision. Thomas is the one that had to follow Jesus and, you know, feeding the 5,000 and accompanying him for exorcisms and healings, doing crowd management while people are trying to press in on Jesus. Thomas has his own unique walk with the Lord. And so... Those three magi have the humility to be enriched by Thomas. And in the same way, we need to have the humility to be enriched by those who don't share our sufferings, who don't necessarily share our experiences, whether they be priests or whether they be members of our family or friends. And to say, Christ still wills this. Even Christ, whenever he organizes his apostles from the very beginning, somehow defies logic and chooses 12 opposites like christ wills this person maybe i don't understand he doesn't understand me to bring me closer to him and to keep me sustained in the church and so in conclusion just to recap that the response to the lord is imperative for our salvation and that it requires at least a few things. That we have the grit and the want to of the Magi bringing with us whenever we encounter the Lord those things that are most precious in our hearts. That we humbly submit to the church 
that Jesus promised would be infallible, but never promised would be impeccable. That whenever we encounter Christ in worship, we go back a different way to our same way of life, and that we continue to be fed and nourished by those Christians, whether we live alongside or underneath, to be fed and nourished by the word of Jesus Christ.